All right, we're going to uh, jump into our uh, sermon today. We're going to be in Titus chapter 2. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up there. Uh, we're going to spend this week and next just briefly in Titus. It just happens to be that way. These are going to be uh, disconnected sermons. All right, but uh, it's going to be a good one, I think. I, I'm, I'm excited about today. So uh, Titus is one of three books uh, that uh, is called the Pastoral Epistles. And basically, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, they're written by Paul to preachers. And Paul is encouraging them, telling them how to be good pastors or shepherds of the churches that they're in, in charge of. And so that's kind of where they get their name. Uh, Paul is writing to Titus. Uh, Titus is in, on the island of Crete, uh, and Crete was not very well liked in the first century world. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of bad things going on in Crete. Uh, one of the uh, things that Paul does to kind of show what people thought of Crete, uh, he quotes a guy by the name of Epimenides. All right, and he quotes him in Titus 1.12, and it's going to appear on the screen here. In Titus 1.12, Paul says, One of Crete's own uh, prophets uh, said this, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. All right, so, so this is the, one of their own guy looking at his people and saying this. Now, how many of you would have liked that guy if he said it about you, right? All right, but this is one of their, fa their famous philosophers, and this is the view that the entire Roman world had for the Cretans. All right, the, uh, the Greek word for, for uh, lying and cheating was cretanzine. All right, so, so just listen to this for a second, okay? Cretan, cretanzine. Uh, you kind of hear where the word came from. All right, so how would you imagine every time that you were going to say someone's a, a cheater or a liar and you, they were saying your country? All right, that would not sit very well with me. But that's the kind of the mentality that they had for these people. And these people were not, as a society, were not very good. And so the question that arises in this, as, as Paul is writing to Titus, is he's asking this very important question, how do you combat that? Right, as Christians, as followers of God, how do you live your life in a world, in a society that's not very good? Right, and so he's going to kind of answer that in Titus chapter 2. And so we're going to read uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. It reads like this, Paul writing to Titus. He says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. All right, what is appropriate to sound doctrine? And, and, and we kind of are left with this understanding that there's people going around teaching not sound doctrine, all right? So they're teaching false things, all right? And, and when we look at the early church, we see that this happens quite a bit, and it happens for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is they didn't have a New Testament, all right? Paul is writing Titus. There's no New Testament. He's writing it, and it will eventually become a part of it, all right? But it, there is nothing there. And so there was a lot of people uh, in, the, in the first century, who were jumping on with this new religion. And they were going around saying, hey, this is what you're supposed to learn. This is what you're supposed to do. And it was wrong. And so the apostles, they spent a lot of time writing letters to the various churches to teach them what is the appropriate way to live. One of the major doctrines uh, that was being taught by these false teachers was this. Uh, because there is grace in Jesus and what he has done, then it doesn't matter how you live your life. So they were teaching, these false teachers were saying, you can live however you want. You can sin 
It doesn't matter because all you have to do is come back to Jesus and Jesus gives forgiveness. And so Paul, along with the other writers, they constantly are, are combating this and saying, no, it really does matter how you live. I, Paul in Romans will talk about how we have been set free from sin. He says, you have been set free, therefore do not be enslaved to it again. I do not keep on sinning. Right? We read in uh, James, James talks a lot about law and lawlessness, and he says, as Christians, you should not be lawbreakers. Right? Another word for sinners. As Christians, you're not to be sinners. And John, in 1 John, talks about this all over the place. Do not sin. So these people that are coming in that are teaching these false doctrines, they're saying, you can live however you want, you can sin, it's okay. And the apostles are saying, no, That's not right. And when we read here in Titus chapter 1, this idea of teaching what is sound doctrine, we have to ask the question, what is Paul talking about when he talks about doctrine? And the answer is everything that follows after it. And it's all about your life. See, how you live is a direct reflection of what you believe. How you live your life shows what you truly believe on the inside. So if you say that you believe uh, in helping homeless people and yet you don't do anything to help them, do you really believe that? If you believe that the lost are important and that we need to spread the gospel to them, but you never share the gospel with any of your lost friends, do you truly believe that the lost need to be saved? How you live reflects what you truly believe. And this is what I think Paul is getting at when he talks to Titus and he says, you need to teach what is sound doctrine and this is what it looks like. Your life is a reflection of your beliefs. So Paul will go in, uh, he, will, he will talk about different uh, people in the church, where they're at socially. Uh, he, he gives us like, I think like a bunch. We're not going to read them all. Uh, we're just going to read a couple of them. And as we read this, I want us to understand that, that these aren't really checklists. These aren't things that, that we're supposed to be like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm good. Right? That's not what they are. What they are are things that those people in first century Crete needed to do in their lives. And we need to understand that in that background, in that backdrop of this is what it looked like then how do we take these principles and apply it to today? Because first century Crete looks a lot different than America in the 21st century. All right, so let's read this. Uh, the first people group that he's going to talk to are the old men. So old men in the church, you need to listen to this. Verse 2, just one verse, okay? To, to Titus, he says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, and sound in faith in love, and endurance. Easy, right? Everything that Paul is going to do, they're very, I don't know if easy is the right word, but they're very simple. They are attainable. All right, so what is he talking about? He says that they are to, three things, they're to be temperate, all right? Uh, This sometimes deals with drink, all right, as far as being careful on how much you consume, but it goes beyond that, okay? It's talking about moderation in every facet of your life, all right? Too much of a 
of a good thing is, is a bad thing, right? All right? And we have to be temperate. We have to be moderate in how we do things and how we handle things. All right, from there, he talks about being worthy of respect. And uh, this, this is an interesting phrase. It, it's talking about being serious of life, all right? recognizing that life is serious. And as older men, we tend to get to that place, right? We get to the place where, where we, we grow wiser and we realize that everything that we do has a consequence. And all of our actions affect not only our lives, but the lives of those around us. And so he says you need to have that respect of life. It's not being sour or gloomy. When we talk about serious, we're not talking about not having fun, right? but we're talking about recognizing uh, the impact that your choices make. All right, then he goes on to say you have to be self-controlled. And, and this word's going to pop up quite a bit, okay? As older men, you have to have everything in control. All right, your thoughts, your words, your actions, they need to be in your control. You shouldn't be doing things as a reaction to other things. Have self-control. And so what we see here is this picture of this man who has gotten older and wiser and is in control and temperate and mild and, and, and it just is living this godly life. From there, Paul says that he also needs to be sound in his faith, his love, and his endurance. His word for sound is the same word used in verse 1 about sound doctrine, and it's his word about healthiness. It's really health, okay? All right, and so you should have a healthy faith, a healthy love, and healthy endurance. What is he talking about? This is what I think. I think he's talking about having healthy faith where you are completely and wholly trusting God in every aspect of your life, in your work, in your families, everything. That's having a healthy faith. All right, healthy love, loving everyone, your friends, your families, your enemies. And this is the Christian life. Having healthy love is loving everyone, no matter what they've done to you, no matter what sin they're in. Right, from there, he says, you're to have healthy endurance. And really, as, as we get older, we get to this place in life where we realize that we have to endure. We have to keep holding on to the faith. And these men, as they're getting older, they're recognizing that someday, soon, they're going to be either meeting Jesus as Jesus comes back or as they go to Jesus. And they need endurance in life until that time. So that's the older man. It, it's easy, right? It's, it's doable. You can do this. All right, now we go to the older women, okay? So older women in the congregation, you don't have to raise your hand, you know. <laughs> but here, here's, what, here's what Paul says to teach them to Titus in verse 3 and 4. It says this, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good, and then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. And I want to kind of stand here for a little bit, okay? But, but let's just kind of look at some of these things. Again, these are doable, right? It's possible. I right, first starts off talking about how as women get older, they should wisen it like the men, all right? They are to be reverent, all right, and, and there's going to be a couple of these phrases that we have no idea what it means. All right, this one is one of those. It's hard to translate because it only appears here in the Bible. And when we look, if it only appears one place in the Bible, we kind of look outside of Scripture in that time period and how they were using it, and we really don't understand what they meant. All right, and so we have no idea what Paul meant here. It's kind of like a, a demeanor of life that's all about holiness. Now, what does that mean? 
your guess is as good as mine. It's really a really hard thing to translate, but we can understand that this is a higher standard of living than just living however. All right, so he's saying you are to live to this higher standard of holiness. Uh, then we get to fun words, right? Uh, so he talks about how you shouldn't be slanderers. And if you look in the Greek, the word, this is Paul speaking, not Tony, okay? The word is literally devils. All right, he says to the older women, do not be devils. All right, and, and when we look at what the devil does, again, this is not me, this is, this is the Bible, so... Uh, when we look at what the devil does, though, we can understand what he's meaning by this, right? The devil stands before God day and night, accusing the saints. Look at what he's doing. Look at what she's doing. And he stands there saying all these bad things about us. All right, and this is the understanding of what older women are not to do. You shouldn't be standing around saying, do you, can you believe that, young lady? Can you believe how she's letting her kids run around wild? Can you believe that that guy just ran through that stop? You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? That is not what you're to do. Right? That's that's not what any of us should do. And and honestly, women can be vicious in their attacks. Right? We all know that. We've all probably experienced it at some point in our lives. All right? And and if you haven't, you probably will one day. Okay? All right? So he's saying, don't attack in this way. Uh, then from there, he says. Uh, that instead, or that also they shouldn't be addicted to much wine. He uses a very strong word here uh, that means to be enslaved to it. So don't be enslaved to drinking a bunch. And, and again, this is probably from the background of first century Crete, where they probably had this issue, and it was a well-known issue. And he says, you women in the church, don't be like them. Don't act like them. Don't be addicted to wine. All right, from there he says, instead you should teach what is good, and especially urge the younger women. And this is where I want to kind of focus on, okay, because I think this is going to be the thing that we have to understand uh, for us as a church. This, this, if you hear nothing else, if you ignored everything else I've said up to this point, listen to this one point, okay? There is an obligation for the older generation to teach the younger generation. It's an obligation. It's your duty and responsibility. All right? and, and, and this is hard sometimes because I feel like a lot of times we'll say, well, they don't really want to hear what I have to say. They don't want to listen to what I have to tell them. They're not going to, they don't, they don't want to be around me. And I hear that and then I look at my wife who I love, right? and she's a younger woman. And I live with her, and I hear what she says. And you know what she says? She says not only does she want that from you, she desires it. See, see, we have this problem in the church in America. And the problem really started a couple of decades ago when we introduced a new position. And that new position was youth minister. And the moment we introduced the youth minister, there were some good reasons why we did that as a church. Right, but it caused a lot of problems. And I'm not saying that we should get rid of the youth minister. Don't hear me say that at all. I was a youth minister. I think it's an importance. Right, but there's pros and cons. And as a church in America, we've had issues. And the issues is that we've created this separation based on age, and we've never brought it back together. Let me, let me share an example uh, of how this works in our church. 
A couple years ago, my wife started an ornament exchange, right? And she knew that the moment that she started that she could not host it. So she went to Nancy and said, Nancy, will you host? And Nancy said, yes, I think, right? At least she, she did it, okay? And so the moment we went to, they went to Nancy's house, a lot of the older generation came to Nancy's and partook in this ornament exchange and some of the younger generation. Not all of them, but some. This last year, uh, we, we've, we, they switched it. It wasn't at Nancy's, it was at Emily's. And so when the uh, moment went over there, all of the younger people came, and some of the old people. And that's, this, that's the symptom that we're facing. Right, we have this issue where we're not willing to meet together for whatever reason. See, we shouldn't... Uh, Determine if we're going to participate in something based on where it's at, whether it's at Kalina's house with her Bible study or at Nancy's house or at Emily's house. We should, either, we should just decide, am I going to want to be there or not? And go based off that. We shouldn't sit there and think, okay, is it, is it just going to be young people? I don't want to do that. Because if we look at Paul, what does it say to Titus? He says, older women, urge, teach the younger women how to live. And, and trust me, the younger women, they desire this from you. They need it. We, uh, we look at our world in America, and, and we, as an older generation, I hear this from you guys. I hear all the complaints about the millennials, right? The millennials are terrible, but why are they terrible? It's not like one day they decide, hey, we're going to rebel against everybody. That's not what happened. You know what happened? Our parents failed to teach us how to live, and their parents failed to teach them. And it's this problem within the church itself where we have not bridged the gap generationally. And so it's more than just they just one day decided to, to do whatever they wanted to do. No, it's a long-term thing, but it's fixable. Our young ladies in our congregation, they're just now learning how to be mothers. And they're struggling with balancing everything. And you know what? You guys have been through it. You have children that are gone. Some of you have grandchildren now. Some of you have great-grandchildren. And these young women need you to come into their lives and show them how to be a mom, how to be a wife, how to be a godly woman. They need you to do that. And it's important that you do this. We have, some of you ladies are widows. We have a lot of ladies, young ladies in our church who are coming to church without their husbands. And they have no spiritual help at home. And so while they are not widows themselves, they feel like they're widows. They have more in common with you than what you can even imagine. And they need your support to get through this tough time in life. And really, you need them too. All right, and so this is something that you need to get on board with. Teaching the next generation how to live. Now, before we uh, move from there, men, you're not off the hook. Even though Paul doesn't talk about it here, you have the same obligation to teach the younger men. Uh, in Psalm 78, 3 through 4, we read these words. 
things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have, have told us, we will not hide them from their descendants. So you hear that? We will, not, we will not hold these things about God from the descendants that we have. He says, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Whatever generation you are in, you have a responsibility to tell the next generation about God. And the reason why I feel that, that we have missed this is because of all the issues that we're having. Right? Why there aren't millenn more millennials in the church? Why is that? It's because we failed as a church collectively to teach them about God. But we can fix it. Right? It's fixable. It's do is this doable? Can you teach the next generation about God? It's doable. And we can start to bridge all of this now. Uh, we need to have honest conversations with people. Not just about our successes in our faith, but our failures as well. Because when we share our failures, we share the grace that God has given us through our mistakes. We need to do this. All right, so that was the older women. Uh, you can, I guess, turn off your ears now. Younger women, you're up. All right. Younger women, verses uh, 4 through 5, uh, Paul uh, writes to Titus, he says, Then they can urge the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that, they will not, uh, so that no one will malign the word of God. Uh, notice that Titus isn't commanded to teach the young women. Right? Who is? The older women. All right, so Titus is just teaching the older women. So I guess older women, you still have to listen because you got to know what you're going to teach here, right? All right, so here's what he says. Uh, he says a couple of things, and they're, they're explosive issues, right? All right, the first thing he says is this. Uh, you are to love your families, all right? And that is hard, okay? I know, all right? Especially when you have husbands that do stupid stuff or you have children that do stupid stuff. It can sometimes be hard to always love your husbands and children, Right? I, yes? No? Your husband's perfect? I, perfect, there you go. <laughs> it, it can be hard at times to do this, I, but it is central and important in your life to do this, okay? Uh, from there, uh, we're told that they are to have self-control. That word again, it's going to appear one more time. All right, so you need to, in everything, your speech, your thoughts, and your actions, have control over that. See, no one makes you do anything. No one makes you say anything. You are responsible for that yourself, and you need self-control in that area. Uh, then he talks about purity, and, and a lot of times when we hear purity, we instantly think sexual, being pure sexually, and that's an unfortunate byproduct of our modern world. All right, that's not really what we're talking about. What Paul talks about is, uh, can you go to the temple and present yourself as clean? And so that's more than just being sexually impure. It's being pure in all aspects of your life. All right? So he's talking about being pure as women. Uh, then we get to the fun words, okay? Uh, he says to be busy at home. And this is one of those words where we just go, I don't know what he's saying. All right? The word appears only here in the New Testament. And when we look outside of the New Testament, we don't find it. So we have no idea what this word means. It, it just is a couple words mixed together. So we think it means this, but we don't really know. Now, that's all I'm going to say on that. Here's what I will say. It's important to be 
imparting our faith at home. The home is a very influential place and space. Uh, In a week, there is about 168 hours. I don't know if you can read that. Can you read that? It's not as thick as my last marker. 168 hours. On a given week, how many hours are your kids at church? One, on average. This is average. On average, your kid is at church one hour a week. Now, if you do this, one divided by 168, that gets to be about one half of 1%. All right, and so if you as a parent are thinking the church, Jacob, the the Sunday school teachers, whatever, that they're going to be able to impact your child for Christ, the answer is no, they won't. In fact, if you're relying on us to teach them about Jesus, we will fail them every time. And we're seeing that. Right? But you, as parents, have far more impact. You're with them way more than one hour. At least I hope you're with them way more than one hour out of the week. You have a bigger influence. And you are responsible for teaching them about Jesus with the way you live, with the way you act, and it's important that you do that. We can help you, right? This is not just a wasted time, okay? We can help you, but you are more influential than we are, all right? And so it's important that you, you be aware of that. Uh, from there, he says to be subject to your husband. Uh, this is a really cool word. It's called hypotasso, all right? And it means to place yourself under. It's not always God doing it. A lot of times it's me uh, placing myself under someone else's authority, And and it's used all over the Bible. It's really cool, okay? Uh, Jesus in Luke 2.51 is said to hypotasso himself under Mary and Joseph. So Jesus, the creator of the universe, the almighty God, subjects himself to his parents, right? So we understand that's not just something women are to do to their husbands, Right? It's something that Jesus does. The church is to people tassel themselves to Christ because he is over them. Uh, we see in Ephesians 5, Paul says not only are the women to people tassel themselves, but men, oh yeah, you're to people tassel to your wives. It's love. Are you willing to allow your needs to become second for someone else's? Men, are you willing to die for your wife. Do you love her as much as Christ loved the church? All right, and so that's some of those things. They're kind of sometimes hard, but it's really not that hard. Equal submission. All right, uh, from there, then we get to the young men. Young men, you got a lot of hard things to do here. Verse 6 says, uh, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. That's it. Be self-controlled. And I don't know if if Paul only gave us one thing because that's all we could handle, or if it was because this is that important, all right? Be self-controlled. As young men, we allow our blood to boil a little bit quicker than it probably should. Uh, We tend to do things that are reckless. We tend to be the ones that speed more than anybody else because we think we're invincible. All right, and, and we are to have self-control rather than allowing us to live however we are. And if we can learn this, 
we can be better reflectors of Jesus. Now here's, uh, Paul continues, uh, this is where I think we should stop. Here's the question that I have for us. What do we do next? Listening to all of this, what is our next step? Here's the thing, is, is we're in a really unique time in history. There's a lot of different factors that play into something important. Uh, we we uh, historically are, are the healthiest we've ever been. Right, we, we have hygiene. Right? Uh, uh, we have more food than we've ever had before in history. Right? The other day I heard on the radio that uh, in the U.S. we have more trees than we had 100 years ago. And that seems kind of weird, but here's the reason why. Okay? The reason why is because farmers are able to produce more on an acre of land than what they've ever been able to produce. And so there's a lot of farmers in the U.S. who have just started planting what they needed to to survive, and they've kind of let other things go fallow. And so trees are coming back. All right? and, and all these things result in one important thing, and that is it affects life expectancy. In the 1900s, in 1900, the year 1900, all right, the life expectancy in the world was 30 So just think about this for a moment, okay? How old are you? All right, just th think in your head, how old are you? If you're 30 or more, you should be dead. If you're close to 30, just, just start counting it off, okay? All right, that's how long you are. Okay, if you were born in the 1900, that's how old you would have lived to. Uh, if you were born in 2015, which isn't many of us in here, okay? 2015, the life expectancy in the world was 71. double in 115 years. Uh, if you look at just the U.S., it's pretty similar. It was just shy of 40 uh, in the 1880s, and, and now uh, in 2011, it was just shy of 79. All right, so, so almost double. All right, and so, so this, this creates something very, very strange, especially in the church. All right, for most of the history of the church, there has been, within the church itself, as they gathered together, just three generations. Yeah, there were some that were four or five generations removed, but they were very few and far in between. For the most part, you had your kid, you, and your parents. Your parents didn't live much past 30, remember? Okay, And so you didn't always know your grandparents for very long. All right, and so that was the history of the church. And having to minister to three generations is difficult, okay? It's hard. Uh, if you read some of the things that they wrote in the 1800s, uh, you would just, it'd blow your mind, all right? There are churches that split over music in the 1800s, and you could read what they're saying, and you'd be like, ah, oh, that's what the old people are saying nowadays, okay? Because it was true. And you know what they were splitting over? Whether you should have a piano and an organ in the church building. And we wouldn't think about taking them out now, would we? All right, but that's what they were splitting over. And, and that was dealing with just three generations. Now we are ministering to anywhere from four to five, more often five generations or more. And that creates a problem. That creates lots of issues. How do you make five generations of people happy? hard. 
it's difficult. And so what we've done is we've segregated ourselves based on age. Our children, they go to children's church. Our youth, they have their own worship at times. And we have this problem of integrating ourselves back together. And so here's what I think we should do. I think we need to start bridging these gaps between the generations. And so here, here, here's what we're going to do. In, inside your pews, there's some cards. Uh, you, you should be out just on the inside. You'll have to pick them up on the inside. You'll have to pick them up, take one, pass it down. All right. And this is totally up to you. All right. Uh, if you're a guest, you don't have to participate. You can if you want to. Uh, if you're a member or a regular attender, you don't have to participate, but I would encourage you to. And here's what I want you guys to do. I, I want us to start meeting together. Okay? And so if you're, if you're an older generation uh, and you want to do this, uh, I, what we'll do is we'll take all these cards and we're going to match them up with someone from someone that's younger than you. And if you're younger, we'll match you up with someone that's older, or, or if you're in the middle, we'll kind of figure it out from there, okay? All right, but we want you to kind of decide for yourselves how you'll do this, all right? Basically, uh, I'm gonna pick on you, Nancy, since I've already picked on you once today. I have Nancy says, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to meet with somebody. We're gonna take Nancy's card and we'll take um, Rebecca, okay? And we're gonna say, Rebecca and Nancy, they, they kind of have a lot of things in common, all right, because that's the thing is, as elders, the elders, we know this, okay? These people have common, they will get together well, and we'll give Nancy Rebecca's name, and we'll give Rebecca Nancy's name, and they'll call each other, and they'll decide what they want to do. Maybe it's meet together once a month. Maybe it's once a week. It's up to you. And all we want you to do is to start to have conversations, you don't have to do something fancy. You don't have to go to the Cardinals game unless you're with Nancy that you have to go to the Cardinals game. <laughs> right? But you don't have to, at least once, right? <laughs> you don't have to do something big. But what I want you to do is start talking to each other. Start getting to know each other. Start living life with each other. And what you'll find is you'll have more things in common because I think all generations are wanting the same thing. We all want connection. We all want to know God. We all want to belong. And I think by starting this process, we can begin to bridge those gaps that are hurting not just our church, but all of America. So what I'm going to ask you to do is if you felt led to do this, uh, there's going to be a basket at the, uh, uh, in the foyer as you leave. We'd love for you to toss it in there. We'll kind of work on it this week and next and get you guys uh, partnered up. All right? Let us begin to bridge these gaps because this is, this is difficult for me as a minister. Right? And this is difficult for us as a church. And we have to begin to work together because only through unity together can we make an impact in this world. So let's do that together. I want to pray, uh, and then I, I, there's one other thing I need to let you guys know. If you are a lady, we have flowers for you in honor of Mother's Day, uh, and so we will be passing those out as you leave today. All right, so let's, let's just pray, and then I think Kalina is going to come up and sing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for Titus, uh, for Paul's encouragement to him. I pray, God, in our lives uh, that we will not allow our generations to divide anymore. I pray that we can just connect to each other, that we can be one, 
that we can find common ground, uh, that, that our older generation can teach the younger generation, that, that as me as a parent, I can teach my kids and their generation how to live for God. Help us, Father, when we fail in these moments. Help us to, to be strong. Help us to find the connection that we need. God, help us to be imparting knowledge of who you are and help us to grow faithfully in you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.